Hello, and welcome to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur, where Hayut Yogev speaks with entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs about reaching or missing the critical point of approaching the right customer with the right message at the right time and place. The point where business success starts. And here is your host, Hayut Yogev. Rich Armis, episode 80, Jeremy Lidl, entrepreneur for 16 years, co-founder and executive director of Capital Pitch, president G20 Young Entrepreneurs Alliance Australia for five years, represents Australia in youth employment and entrepreneurship at the United Nations, published author on startups and TEDx speaker. I've been an entrepreneur since before I knew what the word meant. After 17 years of founding and growing businesses, I realized that entrepreneurs solve the world's problems, but a lack of access to capital inhibits too many from changing the world. I co-founded Capital Pitch to solve this problem. Capital Pitch is a digital investment firm that accelerates founders for impact on the world by helping pre-Series A tech companies and sophisticated professional and institutional investors, providing a capital-raising platform, venture capital investment funds, and advisory services from seed to IPO or acquisition. Jeremy Little, it's so great to have you here. Hi. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really happy you are here. I just shared with our listeners what you've done until now. I would like to ask you to share with us what are you doing and most passionate about today and where are you heading? Uh, what I'm most passionate about is, is really helping founders with huge problems that they want to solve, you know, scale up solutions and, and solve them on a global scale in, in a way that will make the world a better place. And so the way that we do that here at Capital Pitch is by helping investors invest through a venture capital fund and we then help the founders by investing in them and advising and supporting them and, and giving them hopefully a, an ecosystem of support, us, our advisors, our investors and a broader network. Oh, so do you usually work with founders or with the investors? What is the model? that you are usually working by? Uh, it, look, it's, it's two-sided. We, we started originally by working with founders, advising them and connecting them to their investors using a platform, a proprietary platform that we built, you know, somewhat like our crowd that your listeners might be familiar with, the Israeli uh, fund and, and platform. Yeah, sure. So, so we started just as a platform, uh, and then and then a couple of years ago we raised a fund, and, and just early this year we started making our first investments. Um, so we've now done, as of the recording of this, three of soon-to-be four investments out of the fund, and then looking to make another, well, a total of 20 out of fund one, and, and then moving into fund two. And, and, and we'd also syndicated and advised on, on a bunch of companies raising a couple of million each prior to, to raising the fund. Wow. What were the main challenges or problems that you mainly focused on? Uh, look, 
you know, prior to Capital Pitch, I was a founder for, for 13 years. We've been going for four years. Um, and raising capital is the number one problem that founders face when they're trying to scale up. And, and it's the and these entrepreneurial companies that grow up really fast that create jobs and growth. And, and, and that was really the mantra of the, of the work that I did for a couple of years with the G20 in the UN on youth entrepreneurship. So uh -huh. that's the major problem is that the future of jobs and growth are created by new companies that grow up fast and that, that create new industries. But if they aren't able to raise capital, then that inhibits their growth or, or can potentially kill them. Uh-huh. Can you tell us a bit about your career? So I started um, in retail food and beverage stores. So um, with my brother, oh. yeah, when I was 19, uh, I went through a rough patch. I, I figured out that business was going to be the way that I could make enough money to make a difference in the world. And yeah, I opened up three stores here in Sydney and then and went up to Singapore when I was 21 and opened up five stores up there. Wow. Uh, then came back and started a health food distribution business with some mates from school. And, and we, over the course of seven years, grew that into uh, distributing, um, started out with frozen puree from Brazil, uh, acai berry products, and, and then grew that out into supplements like capsules and powders and fruit bars. Uh, and ended up with distribution in a, in a couple of thousand stores, most of the supermarkets and, and health food stores and pharmacies in Australia. We had a, an e-commerce platform that uh, sold the products online as well. And then when I finished with that company, I, I took over a role with the G20 for young entrepreneurs. So I picked the Australian delegation and take them to the G20 and we deliver recommendations to the, to the G20 leaders, so the prime ministers and presidents of the top 20 economies in the world. Uh -huh. um, and, and obviously the prime minister in, of Australia through their office here um, around how to best support young entrepreneurs. And, and that was, it was the research that we were conducting as part of the G20 and, and the work with the United Nations that, that I did um, within that role, that we were able to discover that it's the scale-up companies that need to raise capital, that that's the, the biggest and most impactful intervention that, that you can have in building an ecosystem for that's going to create jobs and growth, uh -huh. which is what the G20 leaders are ultimately trying to achieve. And, and that was the, the genesis of the idea for the capital pitch originally from, from my side. But then I met my co-founder, who's the managing director, managing partner of the fund here at Capital Pitch, Emlyn Scott, when he was CEO of the, of the National Stock Exchange here. So very long and illustrious finance career. He'd also co-founded an online trading platform called Open Markets, which is now doing uh, a couple of billion dollars of turnover a month. And we kicked off Capital Pitch together and met five years ago, officially started four years ago. Wow. Yeah. That's um, quite a journey, starting with uh, retail, food and beverage stores and uh, ending up in the entrepreneurial and investment world. Yeah. So how, how did it happen? What? was the trigger to actually leave the retail and the, the offline world, the physical world, and make this shift to the entrepreneurial world, working with investors and becoming actually an investment professional? Uh, a few things. So, I mean, we had an, an e-commerce platform, as I mentioned, so I got a taste for technology uh, and how transformative it is back then. And we tried to raise capital and struggled in Australia because it was just really hard. 
Um, I, I obviously, over the course of seven years, probably made, as most entrepreneurs do, every possible mistake. <laughs> and, and I was passionate. I was passionate about trying to help other founders have a slightly less painful journey. So I published a book and, and was on, on called From Idea to Startup and was doing a lot of advisory and mentoring of, of other founders towards the end of that journey. Uh, and yeah, and I sort of I stumbled across the G20 Young Entrepreneurs and, and the nonprofit in Australia that was running that organization and they asked me to, to take it over and take over the role because we were hosting the G20 in 2014. So this was back in 2012. So in two years, we had to host the G20 and, I, and, and that organization had to host, you know, four to 500 young entrepreneurs from all over the world and lead the, the, the representation of the entire alliance to the G20 leaders. And, and so they asked me to take over and, and, and run that. Hmm. Jeremy, can you tell me who your customers are today? Who are the customers that you have decided to focus on? Well, founders of, of scale-up technology companies and investors on, on both sides. So investors um, are our primary customer because they're the ones that pay us when they put money into our fund and we charge management fees and, and carry interest. Uh, and, but the founders, you know, when we can, we, we'll do extra advisory and go above and beyond and sort of help them with recruitment and scaling up and introducing advisors to them as well so you know it's, it's two-sided mm -hmm. we need amazing founders and also investors that will let us uh, deploy their capital and create a great return for them who do you actually look into invest in you are one of the few people in this space that actually is familiar with retail and goods so uh, do you look to invest in startups like that are you more focusing on hardware or mainly software and when you started the investment and working with founders did you start approaching companies that deal with physical products uh no they're not um i think i realized having done that for seven years how difficult that business model is um it's a, you know it's a never-ending suck of money to fund inventory for growth and so the, the companies that we invest in are typically software um, they're, they're always generating revenue they're massively scalable so it's it's a it's a venture capital style mandate where we are looking for companies that can go 10x to 100x from from when we put our money in um, yeah physical products are very difficult and in Australia in, in Australia in particular with a very small consumer market you know it's, uh, similar to, to Israel but on a broader scale because the country is just so huge um, distribution is really expensive and so yeah we like software uh, there's a lot of enterprise software but across all industries um, and and care we, we do like deep technology and that we like software uh, that has the ability to be patentable um, or is already patented we like you know strong intellectual property but but we're not yet going into biotechnology or hardware or you know the, the, the real deep sciencey style of, of technology at this point because we're we aren't experts in that area and, and we like to work with founders and businesses where we can help how do you choose the companies that you want to invest in do you have some structured process or are you mainly based on intuition? 
Uh, no, we're very systematic. Um, we've got a rules-based system that we use to filter founders when they first apply to us through an application process. And we then, based on after that application, we, we look at a set of criteria. We've got a pitch deck template that any founder can download. So there's 17 key sections, which basically encapsulate all the key areas of any business. And we score founders against that. Um, and, and based on, on that, those rules and that scoring, we select the founders. But right now, we're only investing in Australia and, and companies from this region. They must be generating 10000 a month revenue. Um, and there needs to be a huge market with where the timing is right. And so they're on trend and, you know, they're, they're poised to catch the wave of the next trend um, breaking. The founders have to be amazing. Um, they've got to be capable of building a $100 million company um, or getting the people around them that, are, that have the ability to do that. Um, and the product has to be, you know, solving a huge problem, ideally on a global scale, and have the ability to, to do that exponential growth um, and, and get to the 100x, I, hopefully. And we don't expect every company will, of course, but, but we like to be able to see a pathway to that, that 100x. Wow. I love that answer. It's not very usual to hear that. Yeah. You know, we are all about entrepreneurs and startup founders, and we talk a lot about being customer-focused. I would like to ask you, what is your best advice to our listeners regarding their customer's approach and focus? Yeah, look, when, when we're looking at a company that we want to invest in, then one of the key factors is their ability to attract customers um, and, and generate revenue. So we like founders that have an authentic connection to the problem um, that they're trying to solve, that have deep industry knowledge and that understand the way that their customers think, at, you know, all the way down to the DNA, you know, that they've lived it and breathed it and spent so much time understanding the way that they're current or future or potential customers think uh, that they are some of the best experts in the world at that topic or solving that problem. Um, so, and companies and founders that think like that and, and that are able to be that intimately knowledgeable about their customers tend to be the ones that come up with the right solution and know where to find them because um, they will know where they're hanging out, where they're, what they're reading, whether, the way that they behave, what they're eating, you know, what they're thinking. They'll know everything about those customers. And, and when you know everything about your customer, then it's significantly easier to go and acquire them. So is that your advice to the entrepreneurs, to learn about their customers as much as possible and know them very well? Yeah, look, we, we've seen founders that have gone and interviewed hundreds of customers before writing a line of code um, to understand intimately the way that they think. So absolutely um, going and speaking to as many customers as possible and systematically interviewing them to get that intimate knowledge is, is super important. Love it. I know you've got successes and we'll get to it in a minute. I would like to ask you what is your biggest, most critical failure with customers, the one that affected your entrepreneurial journey the most, or oh, almost the most. Can you tell us about that? Mm, yeah, okay. I think there's probably two. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
when I went to Singapore and, and we were opening these stores um, selling fruit juice in a market where Chinese were the majority of the population. Um, in Australia, the juice bars worked really well because we used to sell bucket lot, like truckloads, tons and tons of orange juice that Australians would eat, would drink with their breakfast. Um, and in the Chinese culture, fruit juice is not drunk before midday because it's seen as heating. Oh. And, and so what we didn't realise when we went over there is that we basically knocked out half of the market before we even opened the doors because the Chinese wouldn't drink fruit juice before midday. So had we done our market research better, <laughs> we would have realised that. Um, I'd, I'd say that, that that was a huge, a huge mistake and, and made those companies, those stores really struggle in Singapore. The other one is with Rio Life, we were importing frozen puree and, and distributing it through juice bars um, and it was super expensive. You are actually talking about a market researcher and about knowing your market. However, these examples are from the retail and the food industry. And I want to ask you, is it the same when we are talking about digital products? Is it the same when we are talking about software? Yeah, look, same, same thing applies. Um, and I think, you know, to that point around doing market research, with software, it's, it's no different to products. It's, it's got to solve a problem. There's got to be something that, that keeps the customer awake at night, literally sweating, um, because if that problem isn't solved, then their life won't go on. Um, so the same goes with software. The founders of software companies and technology companies, you don't want to have a vitamin where it's kind of a nice-to-have. You want to have a cure for cancer where, where it's a must-have, and people will pay whatever they need to pay to get that solution. Now I would like to ask you about successes. Please tell us the story of your greatest, most significant success as a result of the right customer focus or something you did right about approaching your customers. Uh, biggest success. Uh-huh. We in Rio Life um, gave away the frozen puree business in year three, which was a pretty controversial decision because it was 100% of our sales at the time. And, and pivoted into um, powder because the cost of distributing the frozen puree was super high. It was really low margin. And arguably, we had to found product market fit because um, the big chains of juice bars were, were stopping to stock it. And, and we, we put out a minimum viable product, you know, a white jar of powder with a really crappy label on it into a health food store just to test the market. Um, and it happened to be that the market timing was right, and timing is often the biggest determinant of success with companies. And it, it was in, at a time when, when marketing for us, i.e. was going bananas, and everyone was, was getting emailed about this weight loss berry. And, and, you know, it's not really a weight loss berry, but everyone was getting emailed about acai berries at the time, and, and it flew off the shelf. We had huge margins. And we were able to go national to a huge distribution network much, much easier because it wasn't perishable and didn't need to remain frozen or it had a long shelf life. And so that transformed the business. Uh, we also did market research before we launched that product and we, and we 
understood intimately that the we, we called them with love and and the the Mossman mothers. They were our target market were the mothers uh, that had kids that were working from home. They were quite wealthy and they were concerned about their weight and their appearance. So we we marketed and we designed the product very specifically to that target market, and it worked. It, it, we got huge success very quickly. Wow, that sounds great. Can you recommend the best, most effective technological or digital tool that's related to customer focus marketing or sales? However, I'm not looking for the last shiniest tool in the endless list. I'm looking for a tool that you are using and something that really works for you. Yeah, we use, we use content. Um, so I host a podcast as well. We've produced pitch, a pitch deck template that's been downloaded almost 19,000 times. Wow. We do events and produce videos that um, founders find really helpful. So we've really, edged, in order to find our founders and our investors, really focused on content and education um, and using that, that content to, to generate leads um, that we can then follow up on. And uh, what tool do you use for the content? What is your recommendation for a tool that our listeners might want to use as well? Uh, as far as a piece of software, uh, we put most of our content on HubSpot. Yeah, HubSpot is uh, one of the stars here. It gets uh, quite a lot of recommendations. So HubSpot, yeah. You know, there are many factors that affect our success. Yet I believe that any person has their one factor that really works well for them. And I want to ask you, what is your key success factor? For myself personally? Uh-huh. Yes. What is the factor that works for you? Uh, being tenacious and, res- and having resilience, I would say, or, or grit as the, the great book um, name, with that namesake, Grit talks about, I think... For me, you know, being an entrepreneur, being an investor, um, working in this space is really hard. It's, it's not easy. Um, it's, a, it's a roller coaster and of successes and failures and emotional ups and downs. And so for me, you know, I, I work harder than, than most people I know. And every, after every down, I get back up as quickly as possible and keep running. Love it. Now it's the time for my final question. And this is my mountain question. I always imagine this journey of taking ownership and building a brand in the mind of our consumers or the customers as climbing a mountain, step after step, and then there is another mountain. So I love to ask my guests whether they ever climbed the mountain or wished to climb a mountain, or do they have any relationships with mountains at all? And that's a question that I'm asking you. Yeah, yeah, so I, um, ever since I was little, I've been pretty, I, I watched this cartoon called City of Gold, and it was about the Aztec and Incan and Mayan sort of civilizations, and it was these kids searching for these temples and um, I've been obsessed ever since I started traveling with Machu Picchu in Peru and I 
recently got to go there. Wow. Finally, after 20, 20 plus years of, of wanting to go there. So just about a month ago, I got to go. And, and I've heard these stories of, of it being completely clouded over and sometimes you never get to see anything. Um, and and I, I, I sort of, in, in thinking about this, this question now, now when you asked it, it's, it's kind of similar to the entrepreneurial journey. Like I, I finally got there, it was, it was cloudy and imperfect and, and I was potentially going to be very disappointed. And, but, but, but there's this old mountain um, called old, it's, well, it's old Machu Picchu Mountain. They only let about 400 people up there each day, and it's and it's 600 meters, like almost straight up. It's super hard. It takes about an hour to hike up there. Um, so it's so I mean it's not a it's not a, one of the biggest mountains in the world, but but it was bloody hard work. And so I, after only barely getting glimpses of Machu Picchu temples, I, I hiked up this mountain and. Um, you know, went super hard. I did it in 45 minutes when it's supposed to take an hour, and I just absolutely killed myself um, walking up there. And, and I got up there, and could, you could kind of see Machu Picchu glimpses through the clouds that looked like they were starting to clear. And, and then when I went back down, it was like the heavens opened, and, and it was just absolutely beautiful and couldn't have been more perfect. And, you know, sometimes the heavens just open with entrepreneurship and, and after a shitload of hard work, um, things align and, and it all becomes easy for a while. And, and that's exactly what happened to me on my mountain climbing journey. <laughs> wow, what a story. Jeremy, I just want to ask you, what is the best way to connect with you for any of our listeners that would like to be in touch? Yeah, you can you can get to me personally on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. Jeremy Little, L I double D for Dog L E. Uh, and if if any companies are sort of in the Australia or Asia region and, and would like to approach us for funding, then then capitalpitch.com is the best place to go. You can have a look there and apply, and the application goes straight to to me and and Emily, my co-founder, and the other general partner in the funds, and, and we all look at them. So they they'd be the two best places. Jeremy, I would like to thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you for this conversation. It has been a pleasure. Thank you. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Bye. And for you, our listeners, until the next time, it all goes down to this. You either reach or miss. Keep reaching your goals and vision. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Reach or Miss Show the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur. You can find all the information, links, and resources that was mentioned at the show in our website, reachormiss.com. See you next week.